Welcome to the Fatty Z Muskie Podcast. I'm Andy. Once again, I got Vance. He's in the Ranger. He's working this time. Uh, we got a bunch of baits here we're working on. We got uh, Todd Young on the phone from Muddy Creek Fishing Guides. We also have uh, Jarek, the other half of uh, Muddy Creek Fishing Guides. Uh, he's on the phone with us as a special guest. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by uh, Fatty Z Muskie Products. FattyZMuskie.com. Like us on Fatty Z... Uh, Muskie Products on Facebook. We have uh, Todd Young also sponsors the show, Muddy Creek Fishing Guides on Facebook, mcfishingguides.com. So I guess uh, we could just kick this thing right off. Oh, I do need to say that you're going to hear some clinking around. Those are just us working on baits. So uh, I like that sound if you could pick that up. But Todd, fishing report, we'll start off. You don't have many left. We keep saying that, but... Yeah, yeah, this season is definitely winding down for me. Uh, we, we got the fish there last week. Had a fellow come in from, uh, oh, geez, I can't remember where. Uh, a Wisconsin they, guy? Oh, he, he used to go to Wisconsin, yes. yes. Okay. He, used to go to, he, 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 he fished in Wisconsin, but he is from uh, out in the center part of Pennsylvania somewhere, if I remember correctly. He's a retired uh, reverend. Great guy, obviously, you know, he was an older guy, but uh, we did, uh, he came on a three-day trip. First day, we had great conditions, and we had a great fishing day. And then the next few days, the wind beat us to death, and we didn't have such great days. But uh, he ended up getting, we got 11 fish in the three days, so he had a, he had a good trip. We hooked into some nice fish that we didn't get. From the wind, that lake really doesn't offer hiding spots. Yeah, it has very few hiding spots, and that's the thing—you get stuck into those areas, you know, because it's just—it's just not fun in three-foot waves, you know, trolling, and you know, the guys aren't comfortable, uh, especially when it's an area that we haven't been getting fish. I mean, we catch fish all over this lake, but at certain years, certain times, in certain areas that are putting the fish out. And, Sometimes you just can't get there, and you go you go to some of these other spots where at times you can get them, but uh, you know just didn't happen them too well. But uh, like I said, we did pull some fish. We we pulled four. We did four fish trolling one day, and we got two the next day. Uh, but the casting bite was 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 good when we could do it. But uh, and then uh, I did a trip with a writer. His name is Vic Atardo, and uh, he writes for, like, New York. Uh, I got a call from the uh, Chautauqua County Tourism Bureau, and, uh, yeah, we took him out for the day. He showed up. It was 35 degrees in the morning. Uh, it was sleeting, snowing. Was it blowing? Uh, windy. 
it was it was blowing. Not what's that? You said sleety, snowy, blowing, and I just added blowing. Yeah, just, yeah. I mean, it was. It, I mean, it was not a. Uh, you know, I'm sort of bummed going into the day. I'm like, of all days, they they get this guy to come in here to do this trip with me, and uh, you know, I was not expecting much. But uh, he and I had a great day. Uh, fished about five hours. We had to take a lunch break. I mean, it was it was a cold day. But uh, he's going to have a lot of stories to write about. I'm lucky to get into a whole bunch of detail there, but we got a bunch of fish. So, in other words, he spent five hours with you, and he's going to collect 52 weeks of paychecks off of it? Yeah. <laughs> well, he said he's going to write something for this and that and this and that. And he had a good day. I mean, you know, at, at one point in the day, I mean, it, it was cold. The wind was blowing. And, uh, and at one point, he, he looked and he said, you know, I, I really want to sit down. I really want to take a break, but I just can't do it. Because <laughs> a couple times he took a break and I hooked the fish, you know. I went into the day, He, I said, now what's the plan for the day here? And, you know, I didn't know if he was just going to fish and I was going to just guide him around. He said, oh no, I, I, I want fishers. I want you to fish. He wasn't comfortable up in the front of the boat, so I jumped up front. And, uh, you know, he fished out of the back. We got him lined up. And I actually went into the day thinking, I'm going to do whatever it takes today. They get a fish hooked because I want to get fish, and uh, my expectations was to get a fish. Were, were you worried at all? I mean, realistically, I mean, you're. I, I kind of know what your average is a day, and just the you know we've been yeah. doing these podcasts now for almost four months. So most people, yeah. if they if they could just do some basic math, they got an idea. Were you legitimately worried of getting a skunk today? Or that day, it wasn't today. Yeah, because I had one the day before. Well, that that's the best the day. day. <laughs> What's that? Remember, remember, like two years ago, when mm-hmm. when, when you were like, the, it wasn't super hot fishing, and and you're like, man, I, I we we got blank today, and I'm like, well, I'm coming up tomorrow then, because every time yeah, you had a blank. I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. You you always felt that way. I know. And I, and I, as I look back through, you you were right. <laughs> You know, I'd say, oh, nothing today. It was it was terrible, and uh, Andy would give me the old, well, I wish I was fishing with you tomorrow. Uh, but you know, with those weather conditions, I just wasn't expecting it. I mean, I, I was, I was, you know, I knew if I got up there and worked the crap out of one of them, you know, one of our raptors, I felt that I, I'd be able to get a fish. But you never know. I tell you what, the more the more I do it, I get to fish all the time. The more I do it, I really don't know what day is going to put out what. There's days that I'm out there that's like, this is it, man. This is the day. The front's coming tonight, and we have a bummer of a day. And there's other days that I get up in the morning, like, I, I don't even know why. I, I can't believe i got to go out there today. It's going to be dead flat calm, and there's going to be nothing happening. Uh, Vance and I had one of those days. And we were out there, and those fish were cracking his jerk bait. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't expecting to get any fish. I never know. Uh, that was that was just uh, the musky gods being nice to me. They knew, they saw the future that that would probably be one of my last days fishing for the season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they saw that you weren't going to get to get out too many more times. Yeah. Yeah. I was, we had no drift, and I was pushing Vance around with that troll motor, and uh, he was up front, I was in the back, and I watched him catch like five in a row in about an hour and ten minutes. <laughs> 
that's going back to the old Mitch story, but yeah, yeah, I I just never know. That was not the day I would pick to go out there and fish, <laughs> especially not the hour that that happened in the middle of the day. That that's why you just never know. But yeah, with the writer, I was I was gung ho. He was ready to go. I was like, I'm getting a fish, and uh, then only uh, maybe 20 minutes into it, I hooked one up, and I said, I got a fish, and he was like, you do. So we brought it in, got a bunch of pictures, you know, he takes some great pictures, and had a big fancy camera, and... Uh, a Polaroid? Fish with only... Yeah, yeah, it was a Polaroid, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he took some pictures, it was like a mid-30-inch fish, but he was happy to get pictures, and then it just, it just went up from there. Uh... I had the camera in my hands at the very end, and uh, he was trying to teach me real quick how to do some stuff. And I thought I did okay, but he looked at it, he, lo he looked at it, and he was like, "Oh, I loaded too much sky in there, but that's okay, you know, <laughs> whatever." But, uh, <laughs> did Did you have to teach him how to use a bait caster? No, no, no. He he did. He was a, he was. A, I I've taken some people out before like that that really had no clue what was going on. It was unbelievable. Well, the reason I asked. Because it would have just been awesome if it was like the teacher becomes a student. You taught him how to fish for muskie. They yeah. teaching you how to work a camera. Yeah, 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 yeah. He uh, no, he 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 definitely he definitely that's what he's doing. Uh, he was used to a left-handed reel. You know, he did say that. Uh, he has a left-handed bait caster, but he got the hang of it. I mean, he he he, he was doing good. He's uh, uh, he definitely is. Uh, more adept at the fishing than some of the other people I've taken out in that situation. I've had people that, like, really, you're an outdoor person. You know <laughs> how to use a bait caster. But no, Vic was really good. He has, he has caught muskies before. He caught some, I think he said he was on the St. Lawrence years ago. And uh, He does a lot of articles, fur fishing game, and a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, So that, that's going to be, that's going to be, that's down. That's down the road, though. Those articles. That's down be... the road. I don't know when they're going to come out. He's going to get a hold of me. He took all the pictures. I don't even have a picture from the whole day. He said he was going to send me some, but uh, I didn't get any yet. But he took like hundreds. <laughs> you know, they just grabbed the camera. <laughs> quick, 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 look at the fish. Look over here. Look over there. Tell he takes. It doesn't taste. It's not like we have to fish out of the water any longer. But he was taking release pictures. The fish was dry when you put him back. <laughs> As the day went on, we kept getting these bigger fish, and he's like, wow, now i got all these pictures. I, what am I going to do with all those ones from before? And this one, you know. <laughs> but uh, we we had a good five and a half hours of fishing. Uh, he did get his nice one at the end of the day on Mitch. I will tell you that much. <laughs> oh, gosh, the Mitch count. What's the Mitch count up to? I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's in the 20s. In the twenties, we forgot yeah. about that for a while. Yeah, yeah, we were running the count for a while, and I'm trying to think, Mitch got one. Mitch, uh, Mitch had one today that got off, and Mitch had another one today. The fish followed that followed Mitch into the boat, and when uh, the guy set the hook, like it come out of the lure, and then Mitch had Mitch had the fish hooked in the middle of the back, <laughs> and that fish didn't stay on either. He didn't get. I don't think Mitch got one today, but Mitch had action. We'll put it that way. <laughs> nice. I uh, I guess I'm going to do a Mitch update. After having my blunder of the two 8-inch Mitches, 
I put the hooks on and it's out for delivery for the 10 inch Mitch with the correct date scribed on its back. Yeah. So, Mitch, there's three Mitches out there and uh, only one is correct. And it's not going to be in our possession. Love it. <laughs> so, uh, well, let's get to our guest. Jarek, yeah. uh, you are. I guess I'll do a brief thing, then you can fill in all the blanks. You are like the fly guy, the other half of Muddy Creek Fishing Guides. Correct. Okay. Yeah. We thought we lost you. Yeah, we're, we're looking like, well, we just lost Jarek. Or you fell asleep. <laughs> like most Jared. people do listening to this. Yeah. <laughs> I met Jarek, but I don't know, maybe it's like eight, ten years ago. Yeah. And, uh, Friends of the of Jim Burr, who who was doing some guiding, and then him and I got together and formed Muddy Creek Fishing Guides, and we needed a website. And somewhere along that point, I met Jarek, and he knew a little bit about the you know designing a website, doing this and that, and we put him in charge, and he said he wanted to do it, and he did it, and now he's running his own little thing up up uh, up in uh, you know. In Western Pennsylvania, and uh, yeah, yeah, Jarek, he did. How, how long have you been doing the fly fishing for, for the muskies? Oh, fly fishing for muskies. I think I really got into it. In, I'm gonna say 2003. Um, I know I had I had taken a couple one-off type trips before that. I actually had a fish hook the first time I ever tried it. Because um, it's easy, fun. right? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's what I, I told myself. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I had gone with the fly rod. And, and back in back in the early 2000s, of course, there was this, this, the Internet was really starting to take off. And there was some stuff written on this, but most, most of it was just anecdotal or kind of shady and, and how how stuff was written up that really gave you no information so those of us that were trying to catch a muskie on the fly rod that still really is didn't have that still lives information. that, that still well, lives the shady information still lives well it does and I, and I have a theory on that and I will share it in, okay in a little bit <laughs> um but there was nothing you know nobody I knew if he had even caught one and everybody that said that they had done it really didn't explain or express in a manner that that even remotely related to the experience that I had with it so um, I was kind of I felt like I was on my own I went from that first fish and that first trip I'm going to say maybe a good four years 2000 2006 somewhere somewhere in that area I think it was June 2006 that I I finally went and I had I had a day where I had a follow on my first three casts. I hooked a, hooked a fish, you know, ten casts later that, that got off. And then finally, half an hour later, I caught a fish. So I, I had gone, you know, I'm, I'm going to guess four years from that first. I can't remember when I first took that very first trip, 2001, 2002, somewhere, somewhere in that uh, that vicinity. Did that, you start right off the bat making your own flies, Jerry? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, I. I I was a better fly tire than fly fisherman early on. That that is that is absolutely the truth. I'm not saying I'm, I'm this great fly tire, but I, I definitely 
I bought my vice and my my materials whenever I got my first flyer up. Yeah. Um, and which early on, I mean, you, you couldn't have must, you couldn't have gone out and bought flies for muskies. I mean, I I, I tried it. I tried going into some of these local fly shops, especially some of the the uh, these orders and door shops. They'd be like, oh yeah, grab grab this fly off the shelf there, and that's going to be your musky fly. I would go back and I would look at it, and, and it would be. It's a beautiful fly, but it would be more of like a small mouth. A small mouth. Like, yeah, yeah, be a bass bug or something. Yeah, I'd I'd be throwing a woolly bugger because I I can tie one of them. Well, you see, I've had people tell me, well, I I catch them on woolly buggers all the time. It's like, well, I, I'm not that lucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And you started you started in a, in a, with uh, at one point working with the Pennsylvania Fish Commission. Yes. Yeah, so I have a I have a background and with a part direct degree from Butler County Community College, um, which is a fabulous program. Hmm. But uh, from there, that led to doing education with the uh, Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission, um, which is you know by far the best job that, that I've ever had next to next to guiding. Um, probably the uh, one of the biggest benefits with that is that the amount of people you you would I got to talk to in all all different contexts of fishing and, and a little bit of canoeing, but most of it, you know, most of our turnout was uh, people that were interested in fishing or getting into fishing. Um, so I kind of got a, uh, for Western Pennsylvania, I kind of got a good feel of, you know, where I could possibly find fish, uh, where I wanted to look for fish. And where some other people had, had said that they had found these muskies. And that was just, just largely from working with the Fish and Boat Commission. Yeah, you um, told me lots of stories, man. I mean, there's just neat things you, you, you were doing when you were doing that job and the, the different travels you went on and uh, yep. you know, the little trips you took people on. Very interesting stuff. Um, even just the uh, access to the biologist, you know, because in order in education, you had to make sure the information you had was correct. So a lot of times, I would be calling, you know, uh, some of the some of the biologists at Tynes, the, the fish hatchery in Tynes. There, this, I would work a couple days of the week out of the fish hatchery in Linesville, um, and you would have access to, you know, whether it's fisheries tech, which is kind of kind of a little bit below biologists or the actual biologists, and. and the, they weren't necessarily willing to give up all, all of the information, especially on, on muskies and populations and population densities, but you at least got to, got to ask some questions and had access to, to the people that are actually doing the, the sampling and the, and the uh, work on the, on the rivers and the streams and the lakes that not necessarily an average fisherman would have. Um, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, it was great. And plus, I also got to handle these fish, so I... <laughs> And I think we've talked about this before, Todd. When when I worked on the uh, in Lineville, I actually helped with uh, the muskie spawn. It was usually the middle of April to the end of April, just depending on water temperature. Um, and I was looking at these fish, and these fish looked humongous. And I I had asked some of the, the fisheries guys, like, how big are these fish? I mean, is, is there a fish, a female in one of these raceways right now that's 50 inches and and they said no. We, we measured every single one of these fish, and none of them break that fifty-inch mark. Well, hey, Derek, real quick, give give a description on 
the musky spawn that you helped with? Like, what's the process from like catching the fish to releasing them? Just just so people who don't know what it's all about. So at Lionsville, that's that's where we you know it's on. That's the main hatchery in the state, isn't it? Time of tuning. I don't know. I believe that they do more muskies than than anywhere else, but I you know. It's, Maybe the main hatchery for muskie in the state. I know it's a big one. I know there's a couple small satellite ones up by where I'm at, but I always thought that was right. the biggest. But I, I, I can't tell you one way or the other. And, and different different hatcheries kind of have have their their fish that they that they rear. I mean, and, and a lot of times like uh, Lionsville had steelhead, but those those fish are those fish were hatched in um, Union City or. Um, uh, trout run okay um, but uh, they were then trucked down to Lionsville and just for just for uh, water space but you know Lionsville we had pine tuning right there walleye and muskie were, were two of the main fish that that were reared from pine tuning uh, lake now for the for the muskies like like I said it's normally second week in April that they would start setting out to use the uh, Pennsylvania trap net. Um, and usually, I, I don't know if you could probably do like a Google search for a Pennsylvania trap net and you can see what it, what it looks like. But basically it's like, a, uh, I'm trying to think, it has a long, a long net that extends out past the body of the basket. The basket, uh, I'm going to guess maybe 12 feet deep. This, uh, the, the net that extends out past the basket is, is, is probably 20 feet. I might be wrong on that, but basically what you do is you, you set when the when you're after whether it's walleye or muskie or whatever lake fish you want to go after, you, you take the nets and you set them perpendicular to the shoreline because we know that that these spawning fish travel travel parallel to the shoreline. And it's like a giant meadow trap, like the it's like the like like the the uh, little metal cages you buy to trap minnows, essentially. Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> it's made out of cloth. Yeah. For, and for it, Yeah. Yep. And it 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 it, it, it uh, you know hovers you know it it it, it makes sure those fish get down into that little hole and yeah right and they can't can't get back out right and and Jared that 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 one piece of netting that you talked about earlier I, I wish I remembered. That is at the front, like if everyone's envisioning that round, you know, minnow trap, instead of have, you know, it has that funnel, but this, this netting, this, it's just a single piece of netting comes straight out the front of it for X amount of feet. So a fish that is swimming by is going to hit this net and say, well, I got to turn left or right. And right. If, if they say I'm going to turn whichever direction that the main body of the net's on, they're going to go right down that and they're going to go right into that little minnow trap hole. And then right. they, they could get out, but like most people know, most minnows are stuck in that trap. Right. So yeah, they, in, the, in the interval that they check, that it's checked, you know, you're not going to lose a whole lot of fish. Now, now the thing that I think is, is most amazing about this, right, is you, you say, well, I'm going out to trap muskies for, for spawning. And we'll, basically the way we would do it is we would take, like, big pontoon boats, we would We'd go up to the buoy on the and the end of the net, and we we or the end of the trap. We'd pull the trap up onto the boat part ways, you know, basically pulling it out of the water and eliminating the, the water that the fish has to swim in. 
and then we would start netting out fish. Basically, for every muskie that, that we had netted, we, we had to sort through probably 500, 600 pounds of carp, suckers, <laughs> quillback, <laughs> uh, shad, you know, your, what people would consider to be rough fish. And then you would get through a bunch of walleye, uh, a bunch of uh, smallmouth, largemouth, that type of stuff. And then you would get, you know, a trap four or five muskies. Um, now, you could you could almost tell muskies were a little bit easier than the other fish to tell the males from the females. The males were always much smaller, much more much more scrappy. The females were, were definitely a lot bigger, and they, they had, at the time, their bellies were huge um, because they're full of eggs. Um, but one of, of course, the fisheries guys, they've been doing this for years and years, and they're like, okay, Joe gets to, gets to use the muskie net, which is a, which is a, a net, but the hoop is probably... 18 inches in diameter, um, and then the the, uh, the sack or the, the net part is, is I'm going to guess, 60 inches long. So you, you basically get the muskie head first into the into the hoop and then down into the mesh, and you've got to pull it out of pull it out of the trap and get it into your tank. Um, now you you guys handle fish all the time that you've hooked on on a lure and fought in a little bit. This fish is fresh and the water's at the right temperature. Those guys, they had just set me up. I, I got... <laughs> you got thrown under the bus. <laughs> yeah. It was terrible. Watch, was watch the new guy. At the same time. What's that? They just so watch, watch the new, the new guy. Watch the new guy. See what he does. <laughs> yep. Yep. It was, it was, it was pretty, pretty tough. Um, <laughs> so basically we take the fish, we, we pull them through on the bar or on the pontoon boat, take them back into the hatchery, which is right on the water. Although I think we did have to, for a portion of that, we'd have to truck because we were not on the sanctuary the whole time. And there's a dam separating the, the sanctuary from the rest of the lake. Um, we would take them back. We would put these fish into the raceway. And pretty much it was kind of a waiting game. Uh, we were waiting for, for the... We, when they pull a fish in out of the lake, it's what they call green. It's not quite ready to spawn yet. Um, and you kind of have to check, keep coming back to those fish to check on them to, until they're ready to spawn. Um, when, when both males and females are ready to spawn, uh, pretty much they express the eggs from the, from the female into a, into a dish. Actually, they usually try to use two females to one dish and two males to one dish. Um, they express, express the eggs. They um, express the sperm. They... And then they put the the, uh, the eggs to uh, you know to mature and hatch and then turn into fish and, and uh, I forget what we called them but they were basically cylinders full of, full of fish eggs same, same mason jars used for walleye mm -hmm. mason jars <laughs> they dump out their iced tea and they just throw these things in there and there's baby muskies right there it is yeah you know, um, I hear stories I, I I just look I just think. I'm sure the people that work there don't feel this way, but it's like, these guys get paid to do that stuff. Dude, I, I would do that for free. I mean, <laughs> I would do right? that. Yeah. That is some awesome shit right there. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, it's just unbelievable. That's why, you know, you know, part of me always thought, man, I should go work for the fish commission or do something. But I would pay them. Yeah. I'm taking it one step further, Todd. I'm going to pay them. <laughs> and what I'm going to do. 
is I'm just gonna I'm like here's the requirement I gotta have my boat there so every time there's like an upper forty caught I'm gonna jump in my yeah. boat and get a photo of it and pretend yeah. you and it. present it like I caught it <laughs> fishing I mean, during the storm. Well, talk about some cool stuff to get to do, Jared. That would that would just be yeah. Awesome. It was awesome. I do have a really good story about it. Uh, while while we had these muskies sitting in the what they call the raceways, the big big aquariums. Um, they're, they're probably about four feet from from the edge of one raceway to another. They're, they're concrete, um, and they're just like a big, a big long rectangle, you know, probably thirty feet by by four feet. So there's four feet, four feet of walkway in between these two, or in between these raceways. And one raceway we had females that were what we call green. They're they're, they're still not quite ready to, to spawn yet. And, and the, the raceway right next to it, there were a bunch of males that were green and not quite ready to spawn yet. Um, the one day I walked down and I noticed that there was a there was a muskie laying on the on the floor, so I grabbed the foreman and he came down and we were kind of looking around. Um, and a, and a hatcheries, um, hatchery tech um, came down and started looking around and he said, "Now wait a minute, we had." So many green males in the tank, and there's only two of them now. Um, I forget what I think they have, twelve or something like that. And he's like, "Where did they go?" And you know, everybody's scrambling, asking everybody else if they move them around. Well, as this is going on, the foreman looks in the tank for the females, oh, and there's all these males <laughs> in the tank with the females. And here, what they had done is jumped from one raceway That's to the next. Can, wait, can can they see each other? I'd probably they were smelling each other, if, if I had to guess. They're they, texting. Because it's a, it's a concrete, it's a, con- it's a concrete raceway. It's about, you know, concrete on it. I mean, that, that's like an incredible leap. That's like that octopus that someone put up a camera and it climbed out of its aquarium, went over, ate another fish, crawled back in its aquarium. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Right. <laughs> so did they, yeah. did they start the spawn in the... I don't think they did. I don't think they were quite ready yet. Wow. So, they, they wanted, I mean, they, there was some worries getting ready yeah 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 there was there was some worry that we were going to have to scramble to find some more fish and you know because at that point if they had spawned the lake temperature was rising too and that means that a lot of the fish in the time of tuning would have spawned at the same time so actually finding green fish again could have been a challenge wow if that makes you know that makes well yeah what, what you'd have to do is you have to call todd up and he'd bring down mitch yeah and he'd right. catch you all the fish you need. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> okay. Do you ever... I'm, I'm going to ask a question about... Do you ever pull out, you know, like a giant fish out of those uh, out of those nets? Do you ever see, you know, like a big 50-incher in there? A female with eggs, any 40-pounders or anything like that? They were they were definitely heavy and big, just, just because... And I, I don't remember the exact weight on any of them, but... But I think the biggest fish that we had in the raceway, the, the two years that I was there, was like 48 inches. Nice. Was, I, I, yeah. I, I, I will throw my own story in. Jared and I were fishing up here in 2010, and I hooked one on a jerk bait, and, you know, it came up to the surface, and I was like, Jared, this is a big fish. And uh, he ended up netting the fish for me. And I remember when he netted it, when we brought it in, he said, I know that. That's bigger than any muskie I've ever seen. 
Wow. Yep. And that was that was what a thirty, I think thirty-seven pounds. But, wow. but that was that was in June, thirty-six pounds, thirty-seven pounds. It was a fifty-inch or fifty and a half, something like that. Well, I'm not thinking it was like forty pounds. Or yeah, that, yeah, it, it, it wasn't, yeah, but it, it, it was over 50, that was, that was a, a but, but I just remember you saying, yeah, I used to hand a lot of fish, that thing was way bigger, like the head, and, but it was spawned off, I mean, we caught it at the end of, I think it was the end of June. Yeah, it was definitely summer. Yeah. Uh, middle of August, or middle of July, to, you know, end of June and middle of July. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're not old. Tons of those giants swimming around out there, there's no doubt. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I often have people say this to me, you know, I know so-and-so that works in the hatchery, and they say they get 50 inches all the time, and then, then I get into the, into the system, and I'm talking to these guys, and they're like, really, we don't we don't get very many, even the females that are, you know, over 50 inches, it doesn't, doesn't happen that often. Yeah. Um, you hear all the stories. I Yeah, I, somebody, I heard through a grapevine that, you know, in that brood stocking thing, uh, out of uh, Little Lake in PA, um, Canandota. Can there's Canada. Yeah, Canandota. They they do a a, a brood stock thing there, and mm-hmm. um, I heard like two years ago there was a seventy inch pulled out of there. This was yeah. through the grapevine. I was like, definitely, without a doubt, absolutely, seventy absolutely. inches. <laughs> <laughs> Six feet happens all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. That was a that, that, that was a neat part of your. Yeah, yeah, that's that's incredible. And if you fish those lakes, I mean, gosh, you could see them in the spring. Did you ever catch one of them that that you recognized? Said, oh yeah, we we pulled eggs from sperm from you. <laughs> no, no, actually, just just because of the fly fishing, I, I haven't I haven't gone to. Now we did set traps on on, on woodcock one year, but. I, I did pull those, those fish, and I think all they got were males out of them. Um, or they, the females had spawned out, or there's some backstory there. But you know, I, I, with the fly fishing, I've, you know, Pimentini is just not on a location that I'm, I'm really keyed in on. So That's like needle in the haystack. I hear it's getting better, but, you know, I, I don't know. It, you, you take, you know, a big lake like Pimentini. You could break it down casting, you know, spots or trolling all day, and you might contact a fish every couple trips. That might be better, you know, depending if you put. It. Now do it with a fly rod. Yeah. Right. That would be like extra needle in the haystack. Yeah. Right. So with with the fly rod, a lot of what I'm doing is I'm hitting up. I'm not going to say. Spots where I, I know for sure that there's a fish. Um, I'm actually kind of starting to do a little bit of the opposite, which, which is something I wanted to bring up to you guys. But I'm hitting up spots where I, I, I know the fish just might have to be. Um, and that's where the, the creek and the river fishing comes, comes into play. Um, so that, that, that leads me to, the, to my, my, my next statement. And, and this just occurred to me. I, I, over the weekend, I had a fish on, and I had landed a fish um, along with somebody that, that I was, had taken fish and fishing. They had a, a fish on. And, and each of these fish, the one, the one that I actually landed, I hooked in, I'm going to say, 30 inches of water. And 
the water that it was sitting in because I, I saw it move. I, as soon as the fly started going past it, I could see the fish move from its hiding place. It was probably sitting in about 18 inches of water. Um, and it ended up being, you know, it's not a bad fish. Um, do you do you guys really feel that, that that's a fish that you would be targeting with, with a jerk bait or with a bucktail or, or something like that in, in that shallow water, in, that, in the water that is that small? Uh, Todd, do you want to answer first or do you want me to answer first? Well, I'll, I'll say when I'm walking down, when I do my stream fishing, obviously what I'm doing here. I haven't thrown a bait in 18 inches of water yet this season. And I'm not going to do this season, I'm not going to do next season or the next season where I'm fishing. But when I go to the streams, uh, there are times that I've been waiting downstream. I mean, you're just walking to the next hole. And I've looked out there and it looks like, you know, 18 inches of trout water. And, uh, Maybe I have a bucktail on and I'm walking downstream and I haven't had fish come out of those areas before, you know. They said I'm waiting downstream and I think I look a rock or something, I look out and there's a fish yeah. on my bait, you know. Uh, you know, I think they move up into that shallow stuff in those rivers to do some of the feeding, there's no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. For, for me right now, like I, I have certain... And I, I probably said them in, in previous podcasts. There's certain water temps that I will switch where my where I'm concentrating my my fishing on, and you know we're gonna you know hit on some of this stuff. Like it, you know, we didn't include it on this week's fishing fishing report, but Vance and I we're gonna include it next week. You know, we were finding fish like the the one I caught a pike. It was how how deep the water was that? That was it was well under two foot. Oh yeah, you know that they, they the water temperature is forty eight degrees. You know, yeah. and it's just I guess I'll, for me the depth of water varies with the season and and the conditions you're faced with. So yeah, forty eight water temps on the on the stream this week. Forty eight degrees. Forty eight. Okay. Forty eight. I mean that. You know, I, I talked about my magical number, and like the, the previous week, it was like, we're getting there. And then we got, you know, this past weekend, we got, in some spots in, in my area, got four inches of snow. Yeah, that's right. You and, had it, yeah. And, and like, we had a really hard frost. I mean, we had, in some of the lower parts, Sunday night, Monday morning, they were in the low 20s. And... It might not, you know, with highs of 63, 65 today and tomorrow, it's it might not yeah. pull it up at a couple degrees. Yeah. So I, I kind of missed my happy window there. But it's not, you know, it's not over yet. We, we've had 80-degree days in November. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, pretty much this time of year, you know, if, if Jarek, if you were out fishing, I would be looking for those spots that because they could right. be, they, they literally could be anywhere and... Like Todd said, they're following food right now because they got to eat, and something is up there that they're eating. That's all I can say. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm finding that more and more. You know, the spots that, you know, maybe five years ago I, I would have said, ah, you know what, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pass on that, just because you, you wait through, you don't see anything, or you're, you, you know, you drift past it, you're, you're not seeing anything, and, and now I'm, I'm. Actually, that's where I'm catching most of my fish are in these 
in these. But th- this is something that has been happening happening to me, even in the summer. I've been catching catching these well, hooking these fish and subsequently losing a lot of them. But yeah, catching <laughs> some of these fish in, in the uh, in the uh, shallower type water where you you know you, you wouldn't even think that this this twenty pound fish is even going. Not even something that I would think that they would be interested in. But. I, I guess another question would be: Is let's just say that, that you're, you're catching these fish in two and a half foot of water, thirty inches. What what's like a deep hole in that area? I guess it's got to be all, you know, if, if it's if it's going off into an eighty foot hole, you know, deep hole, that might be considered really shallow. But if your deep hole might be five foot, they could just be sliding up a couple, you know, swats of the tail, and they're they're up there. I mean, is it? imagine that if you're fly fishing you would probably target shallower water out of the gate I mean in the streams you have eddy pools you have moving current you have right. extremely Long jams rocks yeah you have you have structure there trees down and all that stuff so right you know what do you what on a, on a day like that I mean do you I mean, to tar- you know, you have you have all that you have that water there. I mean, when I was when I grew up, I fished in streams and whatnot. Never could I imagine that there was a, a giant muskie in there. You know, I was more targeting uh, trout and pretty much anything that could bite. And I was using little meps and whatnot. But the, those were the areas that I would target. It was was something shallow. And if there was like a little eddy pole, I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even bother with it because I was using a little mm-hmm. spinner and and whatnot. And uh, yeah, what do you what do you usually? I mean, do you fish those eddy holes or? I mean, how do you how do you get in there with a with a with a fly? I mean, if, if you're so a lot of it is, is it's, it's just there's kind of two parts to it. Okay, so where where do I think this fish is going to be? Um, and then there's like the mechanical. Can I actually get that cast into that into that area? Uh, can I get close enough to it? Um, so a lot of it really boils down to the mechanics of actually doing it. Now I, I can tell you the places that I do like the fish. It's going to be it's going to be the faster current um, on on the tops of holes. Pretty much, you know, that's where, where most of my fish are coming from. And the faster. Um, shallower type type currents before you actually get down into a hole. Um, and a lot of it is you, you kind of have to, you almost have to wade where you're going to be fishing. So you, you can't, you can't say, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to hit this bottom because I think it's going to, it's going to be really good. You kind of have to work your way into it because you, you just, you, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, I, I was over the weekend I was fishing this, this section of water, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of like, I felt like I was kind of using up time until I could get to that spot that I really wanted. I was kind of distracted, and I had, I had a fish take right, right in the spot where I was just kind of doing some fan casting to make sure that I wasn't going to walk over top of a fish that that could possibly be there. Um, 
but you know, to, to answer your question, I'm really at the point now where I'm I'm fishing almost every every inch of that creek, just just to see if the fish is there, and, and I'm being surprised as to, to where I'm finding some fish in some crazy locations. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, 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 I've always felt that those fish, like when you, when you when you get to that big hole with the small amount of creek fishing that I've done, you know, I can cast out there and I, those fish will show themselves. They will follow in the deeper part of the hole. Like I know where that fish is going to be laying. However, if I go back to that hole a couple of days later and that fish does not show up in that hole, and I work my way upstream to like the, you know, to a little bit of the faster water that fish takes up there. Yep. You know, it's just just like you know they 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 I think those bigger those those muskies hang in that deeper hole. They will show. Occasionally they'll hit a bait, but a lot of times that's where I get my follows. If I get down there and that fish isn't there, I work my way upstream, and I think they're up there feeding. You know, it's just the same as the other fish. Move into the faster water when they get more active. They move up there, and uh, when you get more takes mm. up there. Yep. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of kind of what I'm starting to see is that mm-hmm. that that faster water is where the active fish are. Um, yeah. Which is you know when I started doing this, you know, 12 years ago, or when I really started started to get into it, I would get you know I'm I'm sure is like a North American fishing book or, you know, whatever the publication was at the time. And they, they would pretty much say, yeah, you want to you focus on the slow water, the deep waters. That's where, that's where these fish are going to hang out. I actually I actually have a identification guide, um, up, you know, in my bookshelf right now up there. And I was reading a little bit about the muskie, and, and it says, in rivers and, and creeks and deep pools. <laughs> That's <laughs> for their their habitat, <laughs> and okay, well maybe that's where they live, but they definitely yeah. don't see. That's right. They, 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 I, I think they do hang out there. I'm not so sure that that's where they do their eating. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sometimes I, you know, you you'll see them laying in that hole, and they'll turn on the spinner bait or they'll turn on a bait that I throw past them. But they turn and they just go back and they lay there again. And there's there's suckers and chubs and there's fish swimming all around them, and they're just laying right there. Yeah. Right, right. Really. Not really that active, because if he wants to eat, he can just eat why they move up to that fast water. Uh, but I definitely feel that they do that. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about your boat for a second, Jerick. Yeah, you got so... full drift boat to fish out of. Yeah. Um, it would be... Last year, 2014, I kind of started to do a little bit of calling around. Um, I was, I was, I knew kind of that I wanted a, a drift boat because of the type of water that I fish, the type of access to the water that I fish. Um, I wanted something that that I could get into some shallow water, something that was comfortable, and, and it came down to the drift boat. Um, explain, so explain what a drift boat is, Jarek. Well, a drift boat, it's a, it's a dory, um, meaning it has a, it's a flat bottom. Um, but they, they kind of, you sit in it reverse. So you, actually when you're, when the, when you're at the rowing position, because it is a rowboat, 
when you're in a rowing position and you're looking towards you know the, the front of the boat, that, that's really, in historical boat terms, that's really the stern, because the, the rower historically has looked out the back of the boat. So it's kind of like everything is reversed in this boat. Um, if you have ever if you've ever seen like a, a fly fishing ad from Montana, and you see two guys in a boat with the guy rowing it, that's a drift boat. Um, it's like a banana shape. I mean, it it, it kind of curves up at both sides. Right. Yeah. It, 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 they, it's what they call rocker. The the you know if you were to look at the the profile of the boat from the side, how how much the bow and the stern slope up, um, and that's you know the that's to help you turn. You know, the, the higher the rocker, the the faster you can spin that boat, so to speak, like a top of spin. Um, I always kind of thought, and, and, and I correct me if I'm wrong, just because I, I don't know. I always kind of thought that if you came up, you're going down a river, you hit it like a shallow riffle, you, you could kind of like shift the weight and it would roll over an obstacle. That's kind of what I thought that shape was for. Was that it could almost well, like walk itself over it? It, it will, um, but that, I don't think. I think that's kind of like a. That wasn't part of the design. It's just a bonus. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So if you look at like a whitewater canoe, like the main difference between a whitewater canoe and a regular canoe is that the regular canoe is largely, you know, straight on the bottom. It might have a keel, but that that whitewater canoe is going to have a have a high rocker. It's going to be you know shaped like a banana. If you're to, Lay a banana on the counter, um, and that's you know that's the less the, the smaller amount of that uh, surface area you have in that in the water, the easier it is to to turn. Now it, I am finding um, that that rocker does cause problems because if you if you're not always on the uh, the oars, then you're basically spinning out of control. So you, you kind of have to be. You have to be on top of things and making sure that you're 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 thinking ahead of of where you're at now. That's why you need to hang um, like a ninety horse Optimax off the back. That keel. <laughs> <laughs> that I think I think it would be. Uh, I think that the weight would be a little bit off on that. Now, um, oh yeah, yeah. it might turn you to ninety degrees. Yeah. I think it'll take a nine, right, Derek? A nine or a ten? It's rated to a nine or ten, but the manufacturer. Has uh, suggested a six. So, yeah. Yeah. The capacity plate says nine. How, how much? I will, Go ahead, Todd. I, I, I will say this. I, I never. I was never in one of those before. Jerick and I and his brother did a tournament in flood conditions on the Allegheny River earlier, and it, it was. I mean, it was neat. Jerick was like, "Okay, we'll just launch here and we'll work our way upstream, and we'll go over here and do all this." And I'm looking like. Dude, <laughs> I don't think we should put that boat <laughs> out there. But you know what? It, it, I mean, you had to stay on the orders, but you, you could control it. It was a really neat experience to go out in that boat. I mean, we rode upstream in the Allegheny River in flood conditions by watching the water and the way the eddies were forming. And uh, it really wasn't that bad. I would have rather had a six horse on there, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it was a really neat, really neat experience. You could just hold the boat in position and the current just sort of sat there. I mean, it was something different for me. I was never anything like that. And I, I mean, now would you have to, 
Would you have to cross the river to cross the current to get up to the other, to the slow moving side, like taxi across and whatnot? Do you do yeah. that? Do that a lot? That's what they, they call a dynamic ferry. Yeah. Ferry across. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and that, that's really what it's, it, it's kind of like. No, I used to, yeah, I used to do, I used to uh, fish out of a whitewater raft on the yacht. So I did a, a little bit of that stuff, and and that's what this is kind of reminding me of. And uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very similar. Yeah, it's a lot of work, <laughs> especially if you're fly fishing too. That's a hell of a yeah. A trip. We had three people in the boat, and one person was on the oars the whole time. We took turns. Yeah. Uh, you know the other two guys fished, and I will tell you, don't let someone like me <laughs> tie the anchor on. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to the anchor? <laughs> well, somebody tied the anchor on, and we, <laughs> the wind kind of pushed us around a little bit. And the next thing I know, we were moving moving past the spot where where I thought we should have, and we pulled yeah. the uh, pulled on the anchor line. It was gone. It was. Um, no, the, however, <laughs> I tied my best knot in that rope, <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't attached to anything. You tied the knot, it just wasn't attached. Yeah, something was faulty with that rope. <laughs> Jared retrieved the anchor about two months later. Seriously? Yeah, Yeah, because it, we, we were at fourth stage. I think he walked over and just picked it up. It was laying on the bank. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was still in the water, but it was, was, it? It was, still, it was still a meter going. I was, I was pretty happy with it. There's cinder blocks all over the place. Three guys in there, that's something. I mean, some 16-footers, aluminum boats are uncomfortable to fish for muskies out of with three people. That that sounds something. What's the construction of that? Is it is it a... Uh, fiberglass. A, it's fiberglass, okay. Yeah, so even like uh, like the rower seat is, is molded, molded fiberglass. Um, like the pedestals 
for the uh, for the the uh, fisherman's seat, and then the uh, there's what they call casting braces, which is uh, I think every boat should have one now. Um, <laughs> it's a it's kind of like a U-shaped uh, buttress type type construction of, that you lean into while you're you're fishing. That way, if you hit some some current or some waves or something like that, you're not you you can lean into something and you're not going to just fall out of the boat. <laughs> I think I would have a hard time jumping into a jet boat now and just standing on a on a casting platform as as I'm going down through rapids or, or something like that. So you're admitting you got lazy. Safety um, first. I guess that's the two first. arguments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it was different. I mean, standing like there's a you stand in this little thing, you put your 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 thighs up against it, and uh, I mean, you felt very stable. That uh, I mean, it, it that probably makes it feel a lot more stable than you maybe actually are because of those things. There's no doubt because uh, it it took a lot of relief off your legs trying to keep stable. You know, while the boat's moving around. I mean, those things are nice. You you jump in there, jump up in there, start casting. I'm not even a fly guy, and uh, you know. I felt comfortable standing there throwing the flies when Jerry took the paddle or or, or orders and for his brother Joel. Yeah. Uh, it it was a neat experience for me. I will tell you that I, I enjoyed it. I can tell you that I did a lot of my early stuff out of a canoe. Um, and when you get a you get a guy in the front of a canoe casting a, a musky fly. That's rocking. Um, it, it's scary. It, it really is. I mean, and, and yeah. I've almost fallen out a couple times as a canoe just because you're, you know, the person in the back is, they go to, to, to steer a little bit or you get into to some faster water um, and you're, you're taking a cast and you're off balance. It'd be, it, it, it can be, you know, a little bit frightening at times. Um, that's, that's the awesome thing about these drift boats. I was, I was kind of a little bit hesitant. I, I had never been in one when I ordered it. Um, but it has it has met my expectations and more so far, and the, and everybody that I have taken out in it, that's one of the one of the comments I get is it's comfortable and it is just a really cool experience to to fish this river like this. Now, how how heavy is the boat? Um, dry. It's two seventy. Two seventy. Okay, um, I probably got two hundred and seventy one pounds of Wileys in my boat. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, now you're you're only taking flies in that boat, so and I'm only taking flies. So, so by the time we have a thirty pound anchor, you know, we're, we're at three hundred, and then then with my flies, we're at three thirty. <laughs> flies and rods and reels and what other junk I have in there, <laughs> three thirty total. I'm gonna guess. <laughs> That's crazy, man. So that ninety horse Optimax is gonna weigh a little bit more yeah. than your boat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's nice, and it just it has a nice little trailer, and you can pretty much walk it down to the bank and put it right in. Screw that! It's a yep. toboggan. Hop in it and just slide down the hill. Yeah, you, you could. I I've thought about taking it to the top of the hill and <laughs> going sled riding with it. If it weren't so expensive, <laughs> I, I would do that. <laughs> um, and that's you know, Todd was there. You can these things; they're designed to be slid. Across rocks and whatever, 
anywhere else you might hit logs that you might have in a creek. So when you go to launch one of these, you can just, you know, you just drop it on the ground and you slide it down, you know, a 20, 30 foot bank. Um, and yet one of the things you do have to worry about is it actually getting out of your hands because they're just, they're just designed to slide. Um, I think pulled it down to pretty, a pretty long grass yard there when we were at that tournament. Yep. And I did a, I found a little launch that's pretty much straight up and down. Is it a beaver yeah. slide? Like a beaver made it and you can just center it up on the beaver slide and go right down the hill? Yeah. yeah as long <laughs> as you have the, the room in between in between the trees or whatever, yeah. <laughs> it gets wedged between the trees. Oh, that's funny. Now, I almost did that on a trailer. Um, but yeah. <laughs> um, and it, it is nice because there's this one place I, I do... It's kind of like a quad path. It's not very wide, and I, I, I drive a Jeep. So the boat is, is a little bit wider than the, the boat. Well, the trailer is a little bit wider than, than the Jeep. But I can get down this quad path with the boat and the trailer. I can take it. I can start to get it out on the rocks for the river. And then I can slide it the, the rest of the way across the rocks so that where the deep ends, I can slide it the rest, of, the rest of the way on the rocks and the river. And I can fish somewhere where I, I'm willing to guarantee it's no more than five or six people have chased muskies in, <laughs> in the last 20 years. That, that, that's that's kind of, cool stuff. That's what I really like. You know, I, I have some little hidey hole out of the way places, and I talked, I think, in a previous podcast about exploring. I'm constantly doing that's you're not fishing a high density, but you're fishing an unmolested density. Which is, I don't know, there's something really neat about that. There is. Vance and I fish a place that, I mean, there hasn't been anybody there for a good hour or two. <laughs> right. <laughs> on Chautauqua Lake. I mean, there hasn't been a boat through there in at least a couple hours. <laughs> Maybe a couple jet skis. <laughs> yeah. And if they usually see a big green London there, you'll, you'll see them. You'll see them pull in all, all you, the same You'll hour. see people start, yeah, the, yeah. The, all the boat, boats troll and see that. And yeah. they start heading that way. And they go that way. <laughs> no, but that, 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 that's really neat stuff. You know, we get on some of those waters like that. Oh, I yeah. have a boat. Yeah, that's know. incredible. I remember, I have, I have a story about that. Back in my early 20s, I was learning to whitewater kayak. We started rafting and whatnot, and I thought, you know, that was the way to go and I thought that that was going to be you know my passion and all this stuff and I did it for you know my mid high school all the way up into college and whatnot and um I bought a whitewater kayak and like every Friday um after class I would go up and we would do these like uh runs and they had uh you know the guides of the these couple outfitters up there that ran trips through the lake they would do like a free friday run you know come come do these class three uh rapids with us and you know basically learn to kayak for free uh but you know class three rapids isn't the best place to learn how to whitewater kayak initially no because it's class four is where you start out <laughs> it's class three is pretty pretty rough <laughs> but it was a pretty safe it was a pretty uh safe lake run because there was a bunch of bumpy rapids and at the end of them there was always giant eddy pools and some still water and whatnot well i got pretty comfortable with what i was doing 
And uh, what you were touching with, you know, not a lot of people get in that area to yep. fish these places, and that's why it's so kind of neat to go through. So it was untouched water. Well, I was like, man, I, I would like to try and fish this. You know, I did it on a, I did it on a whitewater raft. I'll be able to do it with my kayak, but it wasn't set up for fishing. And I was in college, and so you bolted that downrigger on it. No, I I took duct tape, an ugly stick, and I and I duct taped an ugly stick and a net uh, to the side of my kayak. And I went down there, and <laughs> you didn't have a net and a fishing rod. Anymore. And I I come off this. I, I come off the uh, off this this white water and I turn to go into the eddy, and I flip, and uh, but but I had learned uh, I'd learned how to flip back up. Well, when I did that, I basically knocked all of my tackle off of my kayak, oh my God. and it was they're little crap rods, so everything sank. Okay. And I never I never ever retrieved that that rod or that net. Was it the duct tape's fault? It was probably my tape job. But I when I when I go to when I went to flip back up on my right side because you're taught you know I was completely yeah. upside down, and you go and you flip. There's a maneuver you know to to flip, and I kind of I wasn't the best at it. I kind of powered my way through it. I wasn't like the most finesse with it, but I used my strength to flip myself back up on the other side. And there were some other people there and whatnot, so I was underneath the water, knowing that I was probably getting laughed at, and I looked like a goof. Because I was in a whitewater kayak that wasn't set up for fishing, and I had duct tape all over it. I just knocked everything off. It all sank. There's no cork on the stuff or anything. Did, did, these rods. I mean, it was like a twenty dollars setup. Tell me, did like when you righted yourself? Did you just keep on keeping on like I, like you didn't miss a beat? Like nothing happened? Well, I no. I said I think I I popped up and said, "Damn it." And then every, you know, everybody was pointing at me and laughing. And I, I checked the eddy hole. I mean, it was a deep hole. There were some rocks down there. You kind of see where the rod was. It was a little bit high water, and it was just sticking right down in there. I couldn't, I couldn't have got it. I mean, I could have snagged it with something else, you know, if I, if I eventually had it. But after that, I was like, I'm not going to fish these streams anymore. Too much work for me. But you know, so fishing those, fishing those things with. Fly fishing and that being on soured, the, yeah. It it's it it was a lot of work for me. So I you know fishing with the flies and being on those oars the entire time that's a lot of work. That's that's awesome that you do that. I'm finding that with the drift boat, um, I'm I'm really not doing a whole lot of fishing. I'm I'm doing you know I'm fishing by proxy. I'm doing a, a lot of rowing and. I, to be honest, it's actually kind of a welcome thing. Um, it's kind of like a rowing, rowing a boat like that and doing it good isn't necessarily the easiest thing to do, and it, it, it's a new challenge. I've had people tell me you're overthinking it, and, but I, I don't know. I don't. I don't. You, you do want to. You do want to change how fast you're going and, and where you're hitting that hitting that eddy line at, and, and how much. How much casting room you're, you're giving somebody, and, and are you getting them even to to a spot where a fish might be might be hanging out? Um, so I, w- I was actually thinking about this because um, I got to fish over the weekend. Uh, I, I really haven't fished myself, other than, than last weekend. I haven't fished myself since 
maybe the middle of July, just just as soon as the the water level started to come down in western Pennsylvania. I, I think I I fished like one time then, um, which which I think is kind of you know it's not, I'm not lamenting it or anything like that, but um, I think it's kind of interesting. And and to your point, if you're not if you're not trying, if you're focused on rowing and getting other people to catch fish, it actually kind of becomes a little bit easier as far as the hard work goes, mm-hmm. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yeah, Todd, I mean, Todd talks about this all the time. He's like, I go fishing every day, but I don't fish much. Right, yeah. It, yep. It's... I... I Look at baits every day. I don't fish much. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But, I watch people fish a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, you know, like I can I can just see you know working working the boat with the oars. I I I can I can visualize it in that I would want to become the absolute best person at boat control with those oars. So to like every day if I was out there, I would need to. I, I would have to develop the the motor skills to do it perfect, mm-hmm. and you know I'm I'm am literally standing within arm's length of a 80 pound thrust Tarova with iPilot, and I look I'm like yeah this thing does 75 percent of the work I just have to tap a button once in a while mm-hmm. to keep me on course and I'm just like well you got these two oars in your hands and it's it's just the hand to hand the tactic you know it's just it's right there it's, so right. it i don't know i guess it's a different view of it of boat control when you're using the current that's there which changes every day depending on right. the water level unless it's you know uh, controlled by a dam with you know but uh that was the leery part of me when we when we went on the on on our little trip there this spring like I said, you know, putting that boat on, and there there was no motor. I mean, I have three motors. A 125 and a 10-horse and a motor guy, 80-pound thrust. And, uh, you know, we put them on, and there were times when I was like, okay, someone's going to be picking us up, like, way downstream. <laughs> because we're going to put this thing on the water. And it was, it was flood stage. But, uh, Drift all the way to Pittsburgh. Yeah. I was like, do we have anybody we can call like eight or ten miles so we can just get up the shore and get somebody to pick us up? But yeah. Uh, it was a lot different than I expected. Yep. Super slick. Did you uh did you guys wanna get into any kind of the of the uh the fly rod setup that's the type of I I you know, I, I think we should since you're on here. I mean because I'm going to probably make a description based on this is like a fly fishing for muskie episode. We are at an, uh, an hour and 11 minutes right now. So let's keep going. We, we can keep going. I know we're not going to pull a baker, a two and a half hour podcast. Yeah. But as long as you can talk, we, we might. Let's hit this. You know, you're going to be on again in the future. But hit, hit up hit up your basic setup, you know, and just talk about it. because I think that's probably of all the components probably the most most important um, and guys the this is where the, the information on the internet has become a, a lot better than what it, what it used to be uh, there's some quasi famous names out there that 
have kind of answered answered some of the questions that, that I always have. You know, fly bulb. Uh, you know, when I started, we were using things like like bunny bunny strip streamers. Um, you know, some bucktail stuff, some articulated stuff. But but now, if you if you do you do a Google search for you know musky fly, you're you're gonna get pictures of, of good patterns that you just you couldn't find before. Um, generally, what I'm tying is a is a is a bucktail bucktail body with a uh, a you know, synthetic tail. Um, it's a it's the tail of the product called Big Fly Fiber. It's from Hedron, which you guys may know Hedron for the Flashaboo. It's the same same company that make Flashaboo is making making the Big Fly Fiber. I was about to yell at like the Super Spook, but that's Hedon. <laughs> Hedon, yeah. <it's> <laughs> Hedron. <laughs> uh, I'm generally tying these things, you know, between 10, 12 inches. I'll do some shorter ones. Um, but you, you mean it's a reverse tie with, with the bucktail and, and the body. Um, it's really, I mean, I've seen other guys that are, that are kind of tying the same thing. The, the really nice thing about using the synthetic versus the, like a hackle, it, it doesn't retain the water. Um, there is a drawback, and that's your fly wears out, that, that you start losing pieces of the synthetic tail. Um, to me, that's not such a big deal. Generally, a couple fish, and you're 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 taking that fly and hanging it from the tying bench, anyways. And it's a good memento. So, um, the big thing is is getting the size and making it so that you can you can cast this thing, because some of those, those big big flies that are nothing but bucktail, or they start incorporating rabbit hair or you know I've tied some with fin raccoon they, they just start they start becoming very hard to cast um like your own like, hair yeah your own hair you harvest do they do that roadkill hair yeah I've seen it okay. oh I, I, I absolutely I'm a I'm a root hair root kill hair connoisseur are you <laughs> oh yeah you'll stop you, you'll hit you'll hit the brakes you'll put some lines on the road hit the brakes get out and Go back to the you know dead deer or anything you find back there. Yeah, yeah. Well, especially like uh, <laughs> you know, like, like birds or whatever. Those are generally a little bit hard, harder to find than the mammals. I can see like a big twelve point getting hit on the road. Fresh road kill. Jarek pulls up, takes it, some scissors. Take out. the scissors, cuts the tail off, and goes. Speeds. And then like the game commission shows up, like, well, this is different. Someone took the tail and not the head. Oh, somebody's here to help us. We, yeah, we just hit this deer. <laughs> Shut up. He cut just the tail off. Cuts the tail and runs. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the thing about tying musky flies is, especially with a bucktail, well, it's hard to get good bucktail. Um, but when you do get it, you really go through it. I mean, I'm probably going through, I don't know, maybe a, a dozen tails a season, maybe, maybe more than that. I, I have a, I kind of, I don't know why I do it. I save the, I save the tails that I tied out. But yeah, I mean, you, you, it's just hard to keep keep that stuff around, especially the good stuff with with the, with the musky flies. Um, 
Now, what, now when I visual ball. bucktail, like this, this is how ignorant I am to these these flies. Now I've seen them at the shows when when you help us, Ven. I'd literally put like three treble hooks on the whole tail and just say, "I got my my fly." Yeah, and just just tie to it. Like <laughs> what what just... what hair are you taking off of 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 the this tail? It really depends on the tail. I, you know, some, I, his classical fly tying says, "Oh, use the, use the the tip part of the tail for tying your streamers. It's the best." You know, don't don't really get into using the, the base of the tail because it's too hollow. Um, every tail is different. Um, I don't mind using some of that hollow that hollow uh, uh, hairs at the base of the tail if the I, I do probably stay away from the tip, tip hair more so than with other flies. Um, what I'm really looking for is it long. Uh, I'm looking for some of some of these hairs can be up to seven inches long. That's that's what I want more so than anything else. That's the, it's just the, the, the length of the of the hair. If you do a reverse tie, so it's um, you tie you tie the hair in forward and you push it back. Um, so you, you, you tie it down so that the, the tips of the, the hair is facing the eye of your hook. Um, after you have it secure, you take your, your thumb and your finger and you, you apply pressure so that now the tips of the hair are facing towards the end of the hook. So that's what, that's what they mean by reverse tie. Um, you're using up some of that length to, to do that. So you, you want it to be as long as you possibly can. The length of eventually is going to, to equate to me anyhow, not necessarily the overall length of the fly because the tail does that. It's going to equate to the 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 uh, diameter of the fly, the uh, profile of the fly. Um, so and then it's hard to get good good profile on some of these flies. You really have to spend a lot of time in the flies to get get that to happen. I, I think we've talked about this, Andy. Like. How long does it take you to, to paint a bait versus how long the tie fly? Yeah. Um, but I, I think we were pretty close, weren't we? I, I, I work it out, and I think, Todd, I think you agree with this. From no bait to a completed bait takes about 20 minutes if you are doing more than, you know, X amount of baits. If you were to start one from, you know, just I'm going to make one bait and run it through the whole process, it's probably going to take longer. Like, if I was doing 20 baits, so with Todd making the blanks, sanding them, prepping them, getting them to me, I go through the whole paint process. I'm figuring we're doing about three complete baits an hour. Okay. Yeah, that's about, if I really if I really buckle down and, and, and try and turn out a fly really quick, it's, it's about 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, it never worked out like that I used you know, the profile, once you're done with that fly, because I've, I've got to do it a little bit. I've caught some fish on flies. Uh, when you when you get that thing tied down, when you're throwing that fly, uh, you know, some of those flies that I have, it looks the same in the water as throwing a raptor, an 8-inch hard bait. You know, they, 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 they bulge out, they... they I mean, it, it looks like an eight-inch perch. It's not yeah. just hairs following a hook. You know what I mean? Uh, the profile of that fish is going to be the same as them grabbing the, you know, a jerk bait or something. Uh, right. And they do look that way. 
and that's even even the way I would describe that they that a fly fish is. It, it, it's very much just like jerk jerk bait fishing. I mean, it's, yes. it's like a yep. compared to anything else. That's that's the closest that that I could say it, it is. You know, and then a lot of people think of well, it's more like jigging. No, it's 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 more like the jerk bait fishing. Um, okay. The the action that that you get from the fly that stop and stop and go and that, that kind of erratic action. I, I think I think. That's really why it has been successful. It's, you know, the jerk bait fishing has been successful. Yeah. Um, now, the I'm thinking of the next part of of that, and, and we talk flies all, all we want, but I think, and, and I've said this said this a, a bunch of times in thought, when when you're using casting stuff, when you're using conventional stuff, if you, if you want to change things up, you have the ability to go from a jerkbait to a crankbait. You have the ability to go from that crankbait to uh, a, you know, a bucktail spinner or, you know, like a, like a cowgirl or, or something along those lines. With, with a fly rod, I mean, what, what are you going to do? Maybe you might be able to get a topwater. Um, but other than that, these flies are pretty much... You're fishing a fly. Thing. That's, that's it. Yeah. You're fishing a fly. Yep. So if what you're doing today is not what the fish want, you might have a you might have a hard day. Um, I think that is important to note. I know that I, I watch I watch Instagram quite a bit. I follow a bunch of people there, and I'm seeing all these flies, and they're all really really beautiful flies, really creative. But really, in the end of the day, they're all going to fish pretty much the same. They're all going to you know maybe they might go a tweak how you tie that bucktail in, or uh, maybe you're using under your hair or something like that, but really it's, it's going to be that darting action it's when, when everything's said and done. It's not it's like, like a buck tail. That fly, you know. because you can't cast something, it's real heavy. It's not like you can add a bunch of uh, hardware to it. You're not going to be able to cast it. Right, right. You might be able to throw a little spinner on there or something like that, but mm-hmm. it's still going to be the same action. You're not really going to get be able to do a whole lot to it that's going to change that action. That comes down to the fisherman. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, the one thing I do want to, before I move on from flies, I do want to say is that I, I really have been doing two hooks. I'm not tying it on two hooks. I'm tying it on one, but I'm, I'm adding a, a piece of leader to, to the bend of the hook and tying a, an additional hook on that. A little stinger on the back. That. That's nice. Yeah, stinger That's on the back. Up your percentage. Um, most of my fish are getting hooked on that second hook. Hmm. I don't fisherman and I leave fish. 
necessarily throw off the trend on a catch fish. I, I just think that even with that second hook on there, fishing with a fly, fly rod for whatever reason, maybe it's stretching the line or just the fact that that, that fish has completely swallowed your fly and you're flying half your leaders in the back of its mouth. You just don't you don't get good hookups. Um, I think I think I went seven fish that I had hooked and actually fought a little bit that had popped off um, before I, I landed one uh, this, this year. So that was you know that, that kind of seems to be the way that it's going. Um, I was going to ask you about like hookup percentage because we've talked on previous podcasts. You know, like, you know, I'm just kind of quoting Todd, and it kind of holds holds true. What are you about? 50% is a good hookup-to-land ratio. And, uh, yeah, I'm not. You're not I'm at not 50%. Near, near that. You're at, like, 15%. Yeah. Yep, that's about right. Which is, you know, you, you kind of take the, the fish to take as a... As a, as a uh, you know, that's a success. You know, hey, I got, I got, got one to take today. So, um, so anyway, moving, moving on from the fly, two hooks is good, big is good, profile is, is good, getting it to, to give that, that starting action is, is, is great. Um, my leader, I'm using fluorocarbon leader. Uh, I have yet to have a bite off. I've been using 50 pounds. That's impossible. People, people are losing fish on 150 pound fluorocarbon every day. Well, the other thing that I, that I do with my flies that, that maybe hardware guys don't do quite as much is I change that leader often. Um, so, you know, if I, if, I get a, if I get a short strike, if I get a bad snag, anything, I'm, I'm taking 12 inches of, of the leader and discarding it. So I'm, I'm keeping a fresh leader on there. That's the only thing I can, I can figure. But I've never had a bite off. Um, there's, there's lots of ways to rig it, you know, there's plenty, plenty of Google searches that you can do to, do to figure out that rigging. Uh, and then I'm connecting all of this to, to 10 weight. If I'm, if I'm using, you know, if I think I'm going to be fishing some deeper water, I'll use a, the fast sink tip. If I'm creek fishing, I'm just using a, an intermediate or an intermediate tip line. Um. It's, it's really that simple. I mean, you have your, your fly rod, your reel, single action reel. You have your fly line, a little bit of backing, and you're, and you're, and you're big fly, and you're ready to go. Now, now, I've seen the price of fly rods. You know, I know everyone when that, what is that, Legend, Legend Elite, or whatever that new musky rod that St. Croix has out that they're, they're saying retails for like 550 people are losing their mind on how expensive but there's fly yep. rods that are like four digits yep uh, what what would you recommend say if someone's listening to this you gave them you know tips on on, on a fly you gave them tips on what you're using for leader and in your in your line and all that stuff I'm sure you've gone through more than one fly rod that you use for muskie what would you recommend or what are you using for Someone that hops in your boat and says, hey, I've never done this. Hand me a rod. Yeah. So I'm trying to, to keep a couple of rods. I was going to go, I was going to switch all over to the same rod. Um, but now I've decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and keep a couple around just because of people that I have had in the boat that have said, hey, I really, I really prefer 
rod over, you know, live rod. Um, a 10 weight is, I, I think, I used to use nines. I think the 10 weight is, is really important. And, and that is for casting. Um, it's just, you, you don't seem to have to put as much muscle into a 10 weight line as you do into a nine weight. You're, you're doing more line casting than fly casting. Um, as far as make and, you know, type of 10 weight that you want, I, I really think it comes down to angler preference and what, what you have available to you. I mean, if, if your budget says that you can only buy a $250 rod, maybe that should be the rod that you, you buy and you learn on. Um, I don't, I, there is definitely, and I'm big on this, there is rod snobbery that, Snobbery. It happens on, on multiple levels. It can happen on, you know, that that fifteen hundred dollar rod, or it could even be. And, um, I do kind of see this. It, it could be on the on the musky rods, which which range from you know two hundred and fifty up to to the five six hundred dollar range. Um, I I don't think it really matters all that much. I think if you go out and buy a rod and you cast it a couple times. You figure it out, and you you fish that rod. You, you adapt a, to the to the equipment you have. Right, right. Okay. I have a uh, a fly rod. It's, it's called uh, an Echo. It was the first ten weight I bought. You know, I, I used this thing for a long time, and you know, I caught fish on it, and I was able to cast an entire line on it at one point, and. Um, I ended up getting a, a couple St. Croix, and I started using those. But like a month or two ago, I picked up the Echo and tried to cast it in in the yard. No, it, was, it just wasn't wasn't going to happen. I, I felt like this rod that I that I had previously purchased was was no good. To, but in, in reality, what it was is I just hadn't used it. Um, I think probably the, the biggest thing is that. It fits the angler where they're at. You know, if, if that's all you can afford, two hundred fifty, then, then get it. Um, if you want to spend the uh, the five hundred and fifty dollars on a Legend X, go ahead and get it. <laughs> that makes sense. So, okay, if someone says I have a budget of X amount of dollars, let's just say it's a low number. I don't even want to guess what a low end. What is a complete setup cost? Say. Four or five flies, every bit of line that you need, and a rod and a reel. What would be a, a, a budgetary entry level number for someone that wanted to attempt this fly fishing? I'm going to say, and, and some other people might be able to do it cheaper. Some other people, you know, you might be able to do eBay and get this cheaper. But I'm going to say, like, my. My lowest recommendation would probably be, let me just kind of figure this out. I'm going to say you could probably get into it for about 425. So you're looking, yeah, between four and 500 bucks. And I don't know. Todd, what do you think someone could do conventional tackle? Conventional tackle. Yeah, you know, let's just say half a dozen baits, 
line, rod, reel, ready to go. 300. Yeah, that, that's probably, so it is, it is a little bit more, it's, the, 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 the fly fishing is not really, I mean, obviously you can go much higher in both. The rods are going to be more expensive. I mean, you, you can go and get a gander mount rod or something like that. People bring them in my boat all the time. I mean, they cost $80, $90, and it is not, I mean, it can be done. It's fine. It's a rod. You can get an Abu Garcia for... 100 bucks. 100 bucks. Line, yeah. Hmm. I, you know, I, I will say I, I have had some of those people like Jerick's talking about. I've taken fly fishing out here on Chautauqua, and they'll tell me how that you know this is a eight hundred dollar rod, and this is a this, and this is this, and as, as the day goes on, you know, the point comes to me. I was like, well, then just hook a damn fish, will you? <laughs> <laughs> you got all this stuff, throw it out there and catch something, you know. <laughs> Uh, you gotta be able to use it, use it. That's the bottom line. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. Yeah. You um, and as far as the reel goes for these things, guys, it's, it's not. It doesn't need to be anything spectacular. Actually, I think the reel is, is almost a distraction. I'm, I'm using right now my ten weight a a reel that is really designed to be used on on like an eight seven to an eight weight. Um, just because trying to put a muskie on, onto the reel, so, you know, trying to get all your line reeled back into the reel so you can fight it with a, with a reel, you're just going to mess yourself up. I, I've lost countless fish because I've tried to get them on the reel. Um, that, that fish that, uh, I, my client had on the other day taught, that's what he was trying to do. He had a, he had a, a nice fly rod fish on he's trying to trying to get on the reel and I think he got a little distracted and it just popped right off. But so you can a, a cheap reel I think is fine for this. Um it's not like with uh, other forms of fly rotting, like steelhead, um yeah. where you need to have a good drag or something like that. It's just it's not that important. Hmm. So um and then like Todd was saying it becomes that <laughs> After all this equipment, really the, the most important thing is the angler and the end of the end of the end of the rod. And you know, this is as I fish with more people, this is more apparent. Uh, you know, number one, this is you're you're casting a ten inch fly, and you've got to do you know maybe three false casts per cast, and then you're going to try and do that all day. <laughs> There's a involved, and then you're going to strip in line with the fly and test the end of it all day. Um, I think probably the more successful uh, fly rod anglers are, are the guys that are, are making it last all day versus, you know, getting a sore elbow and, and giving up halfway through there. Yep. Um, God. No, no, I, I, I was just agreeing. I mean, I have guys come out and they're more they'll throw a fly for a while then they want to change the fly and I'm like that one looks fine just keep going but I think there's a reason that they can't keep going I think they're taking a break they're, yeah they're taking a break 
Yeah. Yep, and, and it, it, gets, it gets difficult. You have to be, you have to be focused on what you're doing, and, and you start to, to become tired. Um, really, what I've what I've started trying to teach people to do when I take them is you take you, you count to four. You do, you know, back cast one, forward cast two, back cast three, forward cast four, and you're, you're done casting. You, now it's time to, to retrieve that fly. Throw it out, yeah. Yeah, and yep. you know, I, I'm seeing these people that, you know, they're coming in with varying levels of, of casting experience, they're actually, when they start focusing on one, two, three, four, they're actually getting a longer, more accurate cast than when they're trying to, to force the issue and get like six or seven false casts in there. Yeah, and the, bait, the, and the bait hasn't been in the water for like 10, 13, 15 seconds. Yeah. 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 Keeping, keeping it in the water as, as, as much as you possibly can is, is crucial. And then, then getting a good strip, I mean, there has, it has to be, as you're stripping that line and you're, you're, you're pulling that line, you know, with one hand through the other hand, um, you, you got to get it, as those fish get more aggressive, you got to get a, a good, solid, long strip that has to be, has to be thoughtful. And yet you've got to do that, you know, hundreds and thousands of times a day, possibly. So, um, you know, that, that is by far more important than, the type of equipment that they are really using. Yep. Well, so, first, catching a muskie is not easy for some people. It's easy for Todd. Right. Um, Doing it with flies, it's more difficult in that it's demanding physically, mentally, to your pocketbook. Is there a harder way to catch a muskie? I know of one way. Because I, I thought about this before I, I brought this up. It's noodling for them in designer clothes. There you go. It's more expensive. Yeah. And uh, it's that's harder. What I, <laughs> that's what I tell people when they call me. And they're like, I want to do some fly fishing. I'm like, okay. You know, we, we're, we're on a good bite right now. But you're making a challenging sport a lot more challenging. Yeah, just saying, when I come do this on a fly, you know, I, 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 I've had guys out here actually talk with it, you know, we, I pull in, I was like, okay, let's start going. And they're like, yeah, I think they're used to tarpon fishing. You know, people have said, oh, I've got tarpon on flies. I can do this. And I'll right. say, okay, start casting. And they're, and, and they're like, can't you like sight, sight fish for these or anything? You know, like, uh, you know, on, on, on those, on those tarpon boats, you know, they'll pull people around. They're like, okay, cast at 12 o'clock. Because they see a fish tailing or something, you know. And I'm like, no, we're, we got to cast this weed bit. I have no idea where it's at. It's somewhere in the next mile. We're probably going to encounter one, but you got to cast. Yeah. And I, by the way, I haven't seen a fish here all summer, so we're going we're gonna to explore today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's... Uh, but I'll tell you, you know, if, if, if the wind is is down on the lakes, you can do it. Uh, the wind the wind kills these guys. It's happened with Jared and I. You know, the, yeah. wind, the wind can just kill you. Make it really hard. 
probably what I'd end up doing is if, if I attempted that, if I if I went out in my boat with a fly rod, first off, I don't even have anything close to do this. I'd do it, I'd get frustrated, I would tie a crankbait on the end of that thing and troll with it. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, if we put flies in Project X and trolled and just set that Project X on like a three setting, I could get these fly guys to catch some fish here, so... Oh yeah. Would that count? In the jerk troll. Yeah, I mean, like, but if you did... actually trolling flies, I mean, if you ask Jared, Jared will tell you. I mean, the first thing they talk about from a long time ago were trolling flies. Yep. If there's a there's a there's a hole in, in Europe, and and I, I do have to remind some people of this every once in a while. But in Europe, I mean, that's that's a huge thing. You you. They make special fly rods that are that are trolling fly rods. They have special leader setups that are that are for trolling, and then they they tie special trolling flies, and they're not like incredibly different than what you would expect a normal streamer to look like. But that's that's what they do. Um, and the other thing, kind of along those lines, and uh, we had in the Beast of the East tournament, in the paperwork they sent, they said no barbs on your hooks, which which I get, but. You know, that's easier on the fish and easier on the fishermen. And they said no treble hooks. Um, I've often heard, heard a lot of people say, well, you're throwing a treble hook on there. That's really not like fly fishing. But, if you, I mean, if you look through old-time literature, using a treble hook on a fly is not something that is, is incredibly foreign. I mean, that's something that was done historically for, you know, for your, like, lake run, for your ocean run brown trout and your uh, Atlantic salmon. So... Um, I have fished treble hooks for, for muskies, and they they definitely hook a lot better than than the uh, single hooks that we're tying on now. But they they also kind of do make me a little bit nervous too. Yeah, that, <laughs> but I'm going to end up with one. <laughs> you know, like kind of we're backing up a little bit with the trolling. Like if 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 say you guys had a, a fly fisherman that's going for like an IGFA record or something. If you just trolled two fly rods in Project X, and in, in, you know when the season opened, and you guys hooked a, a, a you know a world class fish for that whatever line class or whatever, would it count? Would it count? Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if that if it really would or not. I know that a lot of people would not be happy about it. That's for sure. If, if it did count. With, a, oh, we have something to shoot for next year. Yeah. <laughs> I had a guy trying to get the IGFA record the one time up here, and uh, he had an opportunity. It would have blown the record out of the water, but I said, you know, you want to catch one, throw that thing out here, and I'll troll this thing down this shoreline. We can get you hooked up, at, or you know, along this weed edge. And uh, he, 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 that's the same thing he said. He said, I, I don't know if I, if I'm allowed to do that, you know. To get a record. Heck, some of them fly rods are long. You wouldn't even need it to have it like a dive lip on that fly. Just down rod it, yeah. and it's like eight foot deep. Yeah. yeah. That's something to look into. I'm going to come you know, out with like I'm, six I'm, world records next year. I'm, I'm curious <laughs> to know that. Does it count if you're trolling? Yeah, if you troll it, and then if it's in the, uh, if it's in the project next. So. <laughs> or if you even troll them, period. They're not going to have a rule about Project X. 
No. No, they're not. No one has a rule about it. Until it actually happens, then there'll be a rule. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, because he's hard to do with I mean, I, I, I fished for salmon up on Lake Ontario and we were trolling flies. Right. And we caught fish. We probably caught more fish when I was doing that trip uh, on the flies than anything else that we were trolling. Yeah. Just trolling flies. But that was with the conventional... Yeah. But as far as the bait, yeah, it was a fly. The fly behind a dodger or a flasher or whatever they are. Yeah, whatever they are. Yeah, but that's all it was. It was a fly. It was a fly that we could, like you, like you would tie, Jared. Yeah. Which salmon roll? That that brings up a story. Trolling those flies. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm going to force this, I'm going to shoehorn this story in. Last year, actually, it's actually this year, 2015 Musky Max in Pittsburgh. I forget, what was it, the Sunday of the show? We were sitting there at the booth, Sunday was slow, and the, uh, the one, the only, Greg Thomas comes walking by our booth. Walks past, like two steps past, stops, backs up, and we're like, oh, Greg Thomas wants to talk to us. No, he wanted to talk to Jarek. Jarek, do you remember? Yeah. He bought yeah. that fly off you. He goes, I'm going to troll this this year. Yeah. At St. Clair. I don't know if he ever did, but he... Greg Thomas bought a fly from you. Right. right. <laughs> I probably sold at that same show three, I think. It's 33%. that had told me, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this behind a bucktail. I'm going to throw this behind a... A crankbait, and I'm gonna troll this. That was that was their the reason for buying my you know my fifteen dollar fly. <laughs> so nice. I don't know. I would, I would kind of be interested to see if, if anybody caught one on one or not. But I gotta get I gotta um, get Greg back on the phone. See when he's gonna do it because I, I that jogged my memory. You know, with uh, with trolling. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that. The, it would be probably the most efficient way to catch a musky with a, with a fly. That's fuck, yeah. I think Captain Larry bought some, too. Yeah, yeah. He, he was uh, he was using them for peacock bass, though. Mm, down in, what was it? What did Tony, what did Tony say, Guam? Guam, yeah. <laughs> when, when it was like New Guinea or something. I just, I remember that hanging out after the show. He said Guam. But, uh, I always call it Pua New Guinea. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, uh. Nice, so we, we hit on we hit on the boat, we hit on uh, stories of fly fishing. Your, your gear, we got some tips are down. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Um, just the, uh, well, there was one thing I wanted wanted to explain earlier, and then I, I just really, really, very quickly, the, the mentality of this, and it's that you can't give up, no matter how how terrible you're feeling about the situation, no matter how long it's been since you've caught a fish, you're, you're not going to get a, get a fish if you stop doing it. Um, and really, the only 
secret to this is that there is no secret. It's just hard work. You just the, the the best thing you can do is just keep on keeping on. Yes. That is um, musky fishing. That is yeah. musky fishing. That's musky fishing. You know. Keep trying. Love it. So they are. You just go go get them. Nice. Hey, Jarek, it was great. We're yeah. an hour and almost 50 minutes. I, we could probably keep going for another hour or two, oh, but gosh, yeah. we're all, like, I'm exhausted. <laughs> yeah, I think we're ready for, for some sleep. Yeah, but uh, we're, we're definitely going to have you on again. Um, awesome. So it was a good time. I'm going to kind of wrap it up. Do you, do you have anything you want to plug? I, I pretty much plug with mcfishingguides.com for Todd. Uh, no, the, the MC fishing guides, you know, um, if anybody's, you know, looking for, you know, even just to learn a little bit more about it, you know, um, you know, inquire, give us, give us a ring. Yeah, we, we got a guy, his name's Jarek, he, he knows his way around western Pennsylvania, and, uh, yeah, you can probably just message Todd, and he'll, he'll hook you up with, uh, with any contact information if you're looking for a fly trip or, you know, uh, probably talk more about all this stuff musky fishing and go out and take a ride in his drift boat it's really cool i haven't yeah. seen it yet but uh not too many around we'll here take care of that. Yeah. oh yeah andy you gotta go you gotta go do the trip in that thing you gotta take I, it up love it. Little, back to the woods oh yeah i well last year i wanted to but then yeah. something and you know my wife she kind of wanted to but the problem was she had a baby in her belly Mm. And that, yeah. that that ruined that. Would have been able to stand in the casting thing. Well, that would probably have been over capacity. <laughs> with with the humans, not the weight. She was just. I want to clear that up. With your weight. With my weight. Yeah, because I. You got, that's how you clear that up. Yeah. It's a four person statue, so she would have been all right. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but uh. Anyways, this is a good good spot here to end this. Uh, like Fatty Z Musky products on Facebook, uh, fattyzmuskie.com. We're still running the 10% off baits uh, through the end of October. I also have on rod holders and track. If you buy both rod holders and track in one transaction, free shipping, uh, no limit. You can buy one rod holder, one piece of six-inch track, or you can buy everything I have. It's still free shipping um, on the rod holders and the track. Then uh, mcfishingguides.com, like Muddy Creek Fishing Guides on Facebook. Feel free to contact us. Uh, we did get some uh, we did get some emails this week. We didn't get to hit on them because we had Jarek as a guest. Uh, we're going to do that probably next week. And uh, get in touch with us. It, it's going to make it more fun with, with the more listener interaction. So uh, until next time, uh, good luck fishing. <laughs>